Does it seem like mental health is declining? That's because it is. It is reported that mental health conditions have risen by 20% in recent years. For teenage girls, sadness and depression has increased by 60% in the last two years. Caring for the well-being and wholeness of people made in the image of God is part of our calling and purpose as Christ followers to carry out the redemptive work of the gospel. It is for this reason the Center for Faith and Innovation at Wheaton College is offering the Certificate in Mental Health and Gospel Care with our friends Steve Cuss and Dr. Jaslyn Dixon, an eight-week course beginning April 25th. Leaders will have the opportunity to develop tools for effective change as they shape, engage, and encourage the development and wellness of those they serve in their church, work, and community. To learn more and register today, visit our website, centerforfaithandinnovation.org. That's centerforfaithandinnovation.org. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Lindsay Fleming, and I'm the guest host of the CFI um, Integrate podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cara Martin, the author of Workship, How to Use Your Work to Worship God, and Workship 2, How to Flourish at Work. Uh, she's a lecturer and an adjunct professor, uh, among many other things, many other accomplishments. But you come from Sydney, Australia, or that's where I find you today. And many times we find you at the crossroads of discussing and researching faith at work. Today, we're going to be discussing a specific article that you co-wrote, uh, Precarious Work Environments and the Gifts of Routine, Space, People, and Purpose. So, Carl, thank you so much for joining me from all the way across the other side of the world. <laughs> it's an absolute delight, Lindsay. It's wonderful to be here with you. And thank you for your interest. Yes, of course. Um, we're very much interested at uh, faith and work here at CFI. And, you know, for those of you, we're just meeting and many of you, uh, our listeners, will be meeting you too for the first time today. So why don't you, just by way of introduction, kind of share your personal journey, maybe starting about working in that newsroom and how you found yourself, you know, at the crossroads of faith and work. Absolutely. So, yeah, I guess I guess I've been a Christian for a long while, and um, at uni, I'd actually been really wrestling with this idea about I wanted. Uh, I felt really called by God to be a journalist, and I thought that was all about um, seeking truth and bringing justice in a way. And I was really enthusiastic about what that might look like being a Christian journalist. Um, and then when I entered, I, I got this dream job of you know. TV journalists uh, in a regional station. And when I entered that newsroom, I thought, right, I'm ready. And then I suddenly realised I was completely unprepared. Uh, there were just so many different pressures. Uh, the whole culture and vibe of the TV station was very alien to me. Um, I felt, uh, yeah, I just felt completely out of my depth. And I didn't really have what I needed to, to wrestle with the day-to-day -day quick often ethical decisions I had to make. Um, how was I going to present this story in a way that I felt was sort of honest and then and then it would be taken and massaged and uh, some, some other headline would be put on it um, such that it became a completely different story. How did I as a Christian deal with that? How much should I worry about that or advocate for that? There were there were pressures of time pressures and, and being forced to do things. And I just felt um, I felt out of my depth and I didn't 
feel that there were the resources, the spiritual resources that I needed around me. I didn't feel that um, I was getting much instruction on this from church about how to handle these sort of pressures. Uh, and I didn't feel that I knew myself at my core how the faith and work connection actually worked, how it could thrive in that sort of environment. Mostly it was much easier to sort of go to church on Sunday and switch off on Monday and just get through the work week and then come back. <laughs> actually, I, I ran a youth group on Friday night, so Friday night was when I sort of felt I reconnected uh, with the world of worship, the world of church. Um, yeah, but then I would stop again by the following Monday. It felt like there was this real separation. Going into the work, I mean, I remember sitting in my business ethics class thinking, this is great, but this never happens. You know, it wasn't until I got into my first full-time job that it really hits you. Did you feel mm -hmm. like you were prepared before you went um, into the workplace, right? And then and then you get there and you're, you realize how unprepared you really are. Was that the same experience that you had? Yeah, totally. And I think... Um Churches do a really good job of discipling us, preparing us for the spiritual life, like from children and through high school. And then when we're at school, uni, college, um, we have Christian groups that help us to sort of think about what it's like their um, life as a student. We tend to have peers who are Christians. Um, I was the only Christian that I knew in that TV station. So I went from a place where I felt I was surrounded by Christians and really supported to a place where I was all alone and I really didn't know uh, any other Christians and I didn't know how to make these decisions. Um, so then what I started to do was reach out, reach out to other Christian journalists that I, I could find, so a print journalist and a radio journalist. Okay. Um, and we started to meet together and, and encourage each other. But what we had was an awareness of the practical issues that were surrounding us and we could talk through those and that was very helpful. But we didn't have that sort of theological, spiritual depth. Um, we were just floundering in that area. So we were practically helping each other as what it meant to be Christians in the workplace in, in as journalists, but we weren't able to have that sort of really apply that biblical depth of understanding that I think probably we needed to to really to really connect those things well. So this is a good question um, for kind of, or this is a good segue, I guess, to my next question. We often hear about the sacred secular divide. What does, what do you find from scripture? What does scripture say about the sacred secular divide? Um, and kind of what did you learn as you dug into the scripture and how did you address that? Yeah, I think this is a very real reality for us. Um, so if we look at Genesis, um, Genesis 1, the very first chapter <laughs> book of the Bible, uh, we see this beautiful picture of God creating the whole world and God is working. He's at work creating the world. And the very first thing he asks human beings to do is to steward his creation. He actually gives us this role as vice regents, we might say, or, or people under his authority, but with his complete authority to look after and nourish this world and fill this world. So it's a beautiful picture that of the very first command that we have is to work, but it's this beautiful work of caring for this beautiful world, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we see in the very next chapter of the Bible in Genesis 2, we see this picture of God's 
sort of looking at this world, Genesis 2 is a retelling of Genesis 1 with more detail. And God is seeing this world he's created. And in verse 5, it says it's almost like um, it's hard. It's almost like God is saying, you know, there's no one to work with me in this. I want to I want to work with someone in this world. And so he creates the human being. And in verse 15 of chapter 2, it says he took the human being, put the human being in the in the garden to work the earth mm-hmm. and to keep the garden. And the Hebrew words for work the earth and keep the garden, avad and shema, are exactly the same Hebrew root words that are used later to talk about the work of the priests in the temple. So the ten, uh, the priests are to worship or serve God, and that's Avad again, mm-hmm. and they're to keep uh, the law, um, keep the commandments, and so that is Shema. So we have this intrinsic link that's meant to be between work and worship linguistically, but I think that's not unintentional, that that language is used about the garden because the garden is the temple of God. That's where God's presence is. And so we have these role both as vice-regents, as stewards, but we also have this role as priests where we worship God um, in the garden, in the work that we do. So right from the beginning, there is this beautiful link between work and worship that was meant to be there. And it's one of the things I think that was split in the fall was this disconnect now between the work that we do and our worship of God. We see little hints of it through Scripture. Um, God through the prophet keeps saying, you know, it's no good coming to me with um, your fasting and your prayers and so on and your sacrifices, and yet in your work you're exploiting workers, he says in Isaiah, or you're you're got the scales in the marketplace and they're not balanced right. Like he's actually saying it's no good when you worship me with your heart and then you go out and you don't actually practice it in the work that you do. So the Bible assumes this integration of faith and work, um, but we actually separate it out. We struggle with this and it separates mm-hmm. out all the time and we're fighting about it. And I think that was really um, advanced with with Greek philosophy. We don't realise how much of our, our, our world is shaped by Greek philosophy and Plato in particular saw that the body, the flesh, was um, a container that wasn't worthy of holding the beauty of the soul. And so he saw the body as as distracting from our soul, our worship of, for him, the gods. Um, and so he actually separated out this, this, uh, this understanding of what it means to worship and our bodies, which he just saw as a distraction from that. Um, and so I think what how that works out is that we have churches that are very focused on church programs and very disconnected from what we do most of our time during the week as congregation members. Um, And even in in our work, often there's talk about, you know, your faith is a private thing. It's a personal thing. It's something that you shouldn't actually come into the workplace. And yet you can't be in the workplace (laughs) and not be your whole self. Like it's not like take my soul out and I'll just leave it at home and yeah, just leave it in the car out in the, uh, oh, right. the parking lot and then you can pick it up when you when you're done you know exactly it doesn't work like that we bring our whole self um and in fact I think that the way we work um our faith is actually so significant so critical to the way we work um study after study says to us if we can do this integration better then we will be better workers, we'll be more effective workers. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why there's there's some more 
understanding of the importance of faith in the workplace and and definitely there's a resurgence of writing about this and people beginning to wrestle with these topics more but it's still a daily battle I think to to overcome that sacred secular divide to remember that um, when I'm at work this is not a place where God isn't this is a place where God is this is a sacred space Um, and I am who I am in Christ, no matter where I am, what context I'm in. Yeah. Yes. Just a, a, a full discussion. And, you know, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, it's constant. You can't separate the two. So, um, That's you know, like you said, you can't take it outside and set it aside, right? It is one and one and the same. So yeah. looking specifically about your article, um, precarious work environments. Um, Can you speak directly how culture defines the ideal worker? Like how would culture define the ideal worker? Um, You know, how you address it in your article? Yeah, I think, I think from um, an organization's perspective and society's perspective, they do want this separation. So Mm -hmm. they do want the person to come to work and dedicate themselves completely at work. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, we've, we've bought into that generally in society pretty well. So for many people, work is it. That's what their life is about. It has become the essential thing in which they find meaning and purpose in their life. And that, that suits organisations because mm-hmm. they want people to be completely effectively dedicated they don't want people distracted by what's happening at home they don't want people distracted by faith issues or anything like that they want people just dedicated on the work before them and so I think uh, some organizations have very effectively enabled people to completely focus on work so I think of um, yeah workplaces like Google or Facebook and so on where you could live and sleep at your work quite happily. (laughs) Like um, there are places that you get free food all the time. You don't have to leave work to go and find food. You don't have to break away from work at any point. Your games, there are games to play there if you need a bit of recreation. Um, There's a real atmosphere about um, people you're surrounded by, by people, your workmates, are your friends, your colleagues and so on. Um, and I think in lots of ways uh, what, we're be- what we're seeing is that work, the work context has become our neighbourhood. Um, you know, it used to be we would have geographic neighbourhoods where we would know people and where we would gather and where we would socialise. Um, increasingly that becomes circulated around work. Um, sometimes that's because we travel from our home into work and it's easier to catch up with people after work in the workplace sometimes workplaces put on drinks and and social activities to actually encourage that Uh, workplaces often have gyms and so on so your exercise can be based around work as well you're you're describing the work culture I came out of exactly I worked in medical devices and you know in order to be a competitive company we had excellent amenities you know food gym recreation we played 
like almost intramurals type of sports after work. And, you know, we had a lot of people that moved from different areas of the country and the world. And so, like you said, their ability to connect was with people at work. Um, so I completely see how that is um, been ingrained specifically in today's work um, for sure. So I definitely feel that people do find their community there. And what can happen is that then there becomes a disconnect um, between your geographic location where you live, like that's mm -hmm. just the place basically where you sleep. Um, yep. It can be a dislocation from your home life. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, you know, really it becomes a function of uh, increasing your efficiency at work by um, outsourcing anything to do with your home life, um, whether it's cleaning or cooking or children or whatever, just outsource all that so you can focus on work. Um, and so your whole life becomes uh, oriented around that. And where is faith in that? If we've got this sacred secular divide, then your faith is just this part-time thing you do in your leisure time on a Sunday. Right. <laughs> it really gets has, relegated to a couple hours a week and this other yeah. this other thing becomes your full identity. And I think yeah. our culture, one thing that I found, um, you know, you people begin to think that they have to buy into that type of culture in order to find success or upward mobility mm -hmm. in those types of environments. Mm -hmm. Um I know that you don't have to, but I've, it's really easy to get caught up in that's the only way to compete and advance or to find provide value within an organization. Can you speak to, to that as well? Yeah, totally. I think, uh, I think there's a sense that you've got to play the game, the right. work game, and you've got to play that really well to become as effective as possible in that environment. And, and we can even, sometimes I think as, as Christians, we can even um, sort of do this discussion with ourselves where it's like, um, you know, I know that uh, to, to play this game well, I might have to tread on a few people, you know, just right. so that I can get ahead and stand out. Um, I'm going to have to blow my own trumpet, tell people about how fantastic I am just to, to make sure people know. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'll just do that because, you know, I think God has a plan for me in this organisation and I'm going to be in a place of influence and, and leadership and I can really have an impact for him when I do that. And so you make all these little decisions um, to, to sort of play the game so that you can advance um, and in many ways, I think some of those little decisions to do that sort of stuff can start to eat away at our soul. Um, and it's like this end justifies the means. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I remember, um, um, my husband actually was interviewing for a role and, uh, he was talking to one of the referees about this particular applicant, um, that was, one of my students that I recommended to my husband, I said, she is amazing. You've got to grab her. She's incredible. Um, and so he's talking to the referee, the, the her manager um, about her. And the manager was saying, you know, she's fantastic. She's great. And he said, but, you know, to be honest, she lacks ambition. And uh, my husband was saying, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, oh, you know, when she's offered all these, all these roles she could consult into, um, 
she always chooses like the not-for-profits or something like that. Like she she seems to be and not realise that those aren't the ones that are going to get a notice. Those aren't the ones that are going to advance her. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband's hearing this and he's thinking, oh, my gosh, she's the one. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, perfect. Right. But that was interpreted, her her desire to serve not-for-profits and um, and to explore them was interpreted as lacking ambition oh, by her manager. You know, she'll never go far. <laughs> but we saw it as, wow, she's got a real heart um, for organisations and a heart of service, and that's something that we value. So, yeah, so I think people can be sometimes um, can be enculturated, like think that this is the only way I'm going right. to get there, or, or they can be... Um, they can feel that uh, they'll willingly do this uh, for the end goal of actually being a wonderful sort of example for Jesus when they get to that position of right. CEO. When they finally make it to that point, but they yeah. might have lost credibility or some integrity along the way or developed a different reputation than probably one that they started with the end in mind. So that's the danger. That's the really big danger of it. And I, th- I think we can be subtly molded into the culture as we go through if we're not really intentional about it, if we're not careful about it. Um, I had a friend, uh, she works for one, a really big telecommunications company um, in Australia. Uh, and she's been able to sort of navigate that um yeah she sees it as actually god just providing opportunities so she she doesn't want to play the game uh, she just wants to work well with integrity care for her people uh the reality is that she keeps giving being given these opportunities <laughs> these promotions mm-hmm. <laughs> because actually she's producing really fantastic work she's not playing the game but she's People, uh, she feels it's a, a God thing even. People are just um, see what she does and these cultures, environments for her people that she creates and and she's ended up being promoted almost in spite of herself. Uh, each time she's sort of like, well, you know, I really wasn't really looking for this, I, um, <laughs> but okay, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> yeah, God continues to expand her territory when she has faithful and stewarding what he entrusted her originally to have. Absolutely. That's yeah. that's exactly what I see happening. Um, those are not the words that would be used in the workplace. But right. I think that when we do good work and we work with God and we think about um, our character and practice good character, that often those opportunities will open up. And if those opportunities don't open up, then maybe <laughs> that's not the right job for us, for our gifts, our skills, our character to flourish anyway. I think God uses our workplaces to shape us if we're intentional with him in a way um, that is healthy for us. Um, and it could be a protection is, in a way yeah. if, he, you know, he yeah. could be protecting you for something if maybe he isn't expanding that territory. Yeah. Um, Going back to your article before we get off on all these other great things, but going back to the article, you speak about the gifts of routine and space. Um, For those who haven't read the article, could you share what you're, you're speaking of in reference to the article about routines and space? Yeah, I'll just um just a little bit of context. So what happened was um my my co-author Peter Cumming, um, he was doing some leadership um um work in INSEAD in Paris and uh, he came across this article by uh, these organizational psychologists basically that field um 
Petri Glary and um, and some other uh, authors had written this article, and in it they talked about um, that we need to to create these holding environments uh, for ourselves. And um, what they were saying was that uh, we're in precarious times where it's it's a bit trickier to sort of figure out. Um, my dad used to go off to the same workplace. Um, he'd have the same routine every day. He would go to the same desk, the same space every day, um, work with mostly the same people. Um, he had a clear idea about what the purpose of that work was. Um, that was his world. That is not the world in which we work these days. The world has changed in the last couple of years. It's changed <laughs> amazingly. Again and again, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you're an entrepreneur, then that is definitely not the world in which you work. Um, uh, so what we need to do, uh, these organisational psychologists said, is be a little more um, intentional about how we create these environments in which we can work. And two of the things that they talk about that are really important for us to be productive are routines and space. So routines, uh, this morning uh, I got up, I had a shower, and then I went and got coffee. They're the first two things I do every day. <laughs> because we are <laughs> meeting uh, very early in your time as you're in the just to clarify and give perspective. Uh, <laughs> um, so that's my routine, okay? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, for me also, you know, there'll be a, a reading the Bible and there'll be prayer. That's part of my routine. So these routines are really important for us. Uh, we set up these routines that actually give us a bit of context. Um, and, and you would know, like, if for some reason you sleep in or something goes wrong, you miss that coffee. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> usually I miss the shower rather than the coffee. Yeah, you'd rather <laughs> miss the shower. Yes, yes, that's right. I'm prepared to sacrifice that. <laughs> <laughs> but we feel discombobulated. Yes. It sort of impacts on our ability. We, we, we sort of feel um, that we it's hard for us to fit into and be productive because mm -hmm. our routine is out. So we need these routines to help us to be productive. But we also need space. And I think this is something that we um, we haven't realised as much, the importance of that regular space where we do work. Mm -hmm. This is, a, a, I think, probably people found this out a little bit during COVID lockdowns, that they right. needed to create a space with a space that was work. Um, one of the things, uh, my son became quite anxious through COVID. Uh, and one of the problems was that we realised that um, his workspace um, was in his bedroom. Like there were three of us in lockdown. <laughs> we were dividing up the rooms and his desk was in his bedroom. And so his sleeping space and his workspace were actually together and one of the first things that we realised that we needed to do was separate out those spaces. So we created a new space where he could do his work that was separate from where he rested. And that had a massive impact on reducing some of his anxiety because because the work didn't intrude on his sleep and right. his sleep wasn't impacted by the work. Um, so, yeah, there's I think space is really important. And so for for entrepreneurs, I think what they need to do, because those those routines and those spaces are usually provided by an organisation. There's there's set routines and spaces that are there. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business owner, if you're a student, you need to create those routines. You need to create those spaces so that you can be productive in the work that you do. Um, and those are sort of quite simple things that you can put in place. 
we, we say the same thing. I have uh, teenagers. And so, you know, they like to do everything on their laptop in their room, but there is a different level of uh, studio, like uh, ability to study and focus when they are seated, you know, seated someplace else outside of that space because of the same reasons it gets so the lines are so blurred. It does help to have a special mm. space designated yeah. for that. And it may not be in your home. It may be um, if you if you don't have a coffee shop or absolutely. or a bookstore or something, but you have designated that space as that is your time and place to work. Exactly. Yeah. And I uh, so the organizational psychologist said these things. I think as Christians, actually, we recognize these things are important. Um, so we bring some Christian superpowers to some of this stuff. So in terms of routines, I think spiritual disciplines are something that we recognize are important for us. So whether that be reading the Bible, whether that be a time of prayer, um, I do the examine each day. Um, it may be that you have worship music um, on while you're driving in the car. Um, the Sabbath is being, I think, in some ways rediscovered as a really yes. significant rhythm that we need. So understanding that these are part of the routines that give us a context for us to be effective um, for God and what we do. Um, and space, we recognise that space is always important through the Bible. We think of um, the fact that uh, the land was part of that beautiful covenant with Abraham. God said place and space was actually something really significant. Um, yeah, I mean, you said earlier about our bodies being the temple yeah. of the Holy Spirit, um, this sense that, um, yeah, our bodies are the space in which the Spirit dwells. Um, yes. This is now uh, where God's presence is, is, is an, in, an incredible idea that, that actually we take that sense of space with us, whatever other space we go into, whatever other context we go into. So we have some Christian superpowers in which is sort of resonating with what we're hearing from organisational psychologists about what's important to be productive and effective. I love that you address that because, you know, I, one of the things I wrote down and just preparing for this, you know, if work is really a place of worship, I wanted to ask you, what are like some practical ways that people mm -hmm. should you know, approach it. And I think like you just discussed that preparing and creating those rhythms as you approach it, um, you can worship and prepare yourself to, to work as your act of worship to God. So I love those practicalities that you just shared. Yeah, you know, cool. one thing, um, you know, it's hard to break bad habits <clears throat> or patterns, but what would you, how would you encourage someone who's maybe listening to this podcast and they, their boundaries, their rhythms, their habits, their patterns are just, they seem completely out of control. They have just mm -hmm. kind of dialed into, you know, what culture says is that ideal work worker mentality where there is no boundary, it is all work, but they're looking to kind of dial it back and to reel it back in. What is like a practical, mm -hmm. you know, next step that they could do just this week even, or what mm -hmm. advice would you give them, you know, to help kind of shift this? Uh, because when they look at it from the outside, they don't even know where to start, but yeah. like, what is something very practical that they, they could do even this week? Yeah, awesome. Uh, great question. I think one of the one of the things 
that helps us bridge this sacred secular divide that we've been talking about is realizing that God wants to work with us. We saw that right there at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, the garden that God created. <clears throat> he wanted to work with people and he still wants to work with us now. So often we think that when we go to work, if we if we do take God and we do think of him, it's like he's he's in our our backpack or our briefcase or whatever we're taking to work. We think he's he's in there and every now and then we let him out. Um, but one of the important things to realize is God is already present in your workplace. He's already there doing his thing. So you need to sort of connect with what he's doing. So starting to realize that God is present with you in your work and he wants to work with you. And a simple thing you can do is, is, um, is even just get a post-it note and write a verse that reminds you about that and just, just put it on your computer so that it's just present in your workspace that you can see this is just this reminder. Um, but hopefully what that does is start to open you up to talking to God while you're at work, to, to little prayers. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I have a friend and on his phone um, at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. he has an alarm that goes off and it flashes up and on the screen it says pray, pray, pray. Mm-hmm. Um and that's just a reminder to him. He chose those times because they're the busiest times of his work day. And they're the times where he might get completely enveloped in work again and focus. And it's just a reminder, just talk to God. And, and if he's in a meeting, it may be, hello, God, I acknowledge you're here. Um, it might just be an orientation of himself to God again. But it's just that, that, that reminder twice a day when he's surrounded by work and enveloped in work. God, you're with God. God is with you. He wants to work with you. He wants to help you in your decision making. He wants to work alongside you. He wants to prompt you about that work colleague. He wants to uh, unleash your creativity and your innovation. Love it. Um, Oh, that's (laughs) so great. Well, kind of in closing too, you know, at CFI, we deal, we work with a lot of students um, Mm. at Wheaton. And so, you know, we either have students that are getting ready to enter the workspace or maybe have just started their first time job. And, you know, they want to be, they want to jump in, they want to represent Um, the Lord well, and they want to have a sense of excellence in their work. So they don't want to say like, oh, that's not my job or, oh, I'm off the clock. But what are some good, um, how do they, how do they start with healthy boundaries? How do they start where they're inviting him in? They're doing things with excellence. It's their first time. They need to kind of prove themselves, but how do they not lose, um, how do they not lose that mentality that you just shared? Yeah, cool. Well, I think that God has set us up with with rhythms. That's the way we're made. We see rhythms all around us in nature and we respond to rhythms as well. Um, one of the things I think that is understood in the discussion around Sabbath is, is that we often think that you work really, really hard and then you collapse and that's Sabbath. <laughs> But if we think about the order of creation, human beings are created on day six. Day seven, we rest and then we start work. And I think that's one of the orientations that we can have as well, that that's, that we're meant to be, we're meant to as human beings to work from a place of rest. Yep. Um, and if you can get that into your head, Sunday isn't the end of the week, it's the start of the week. It's, it's that worship 
Sabbath experience that you have um, on a Sunday is the preparation to work effectively during the week. So that orientation, I think, is helpful, that you're actually setting yourself up to work well, to work effectively. Um, and then thinking about some of these routines that you can just build into your day just to orient yourself around God and and not to feel guilty if you miss something. Like sometimes we turn these things into a law thing and then we feel guilty if we don't do it. But actually, God is amazingly flexible. If you remember, Jesus kept getting in trouble for not doing things the way the Pharisees according to the rules. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Um, God is flexible. Okay. Don't worry about that. But he actually, the more important thing is this orientation around that you, yeah, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're going into work. We we carry God with us as we go into work, but also he's already at work. So we start to look around us. And God would not give you more work than you can physically, emotionally, mentally handle. Um, he's your ultimate employer. That's the other thing, that God is the one that we work for. Colossians 3.23 reminds us that, you know, we, we, we work for human masters, yes, but our ultimate master is God. Mm -hmm. So God is not going to set you more work than you can do. So what that means is that when we stop work, um, we have to entrust the work that, that isn't finished to God and just say, well, God's not asking more of me than I'm actually able to do. So put in some of those boundaries. And the reality is that that will make you more effective anyway. Here's the crazy thing, like um, any, any minute over about 38, 40, 40 hours a week that you work is much less effective um, and can actually be detrimental to the work that you do. Um, there's we're actually made as finite creatures. We're not made to work endlessly. Um, so although there's an endless amount of work that seems to be there, if we remember that we work for God ultimately, that we carry God within us, that we can talk to God about the work that we do, then we can set those healthy boundaries in place. We can we can recognise what is what is actually harming our soul as well as our body if we give too much to it. Um, and, yeah, we have to trust God that he will create the opportunities that we need um, to be effective for him, that we don't have to do it in our own strength. I love that. I love that because we feel like so much of it depends on us. But when we realize that we're partnering with him, we're in it together, mm -hmm. it doesn't fall on our shoulders to produce the outcomes. Um, I just keep thinking of questions and this is, this is a really fun conversation, but I don't want to go on for so long, but I, one last thing, you know, um, as leaders in work and corporations and businesses, could you speak to that? You know, how, mm. what is the role and the importance of shepherding your teams well? And yeah, I mean, what a, what a serious calling to Christian leaders who are, mm. you know, trying to implement worship and work. Um, mm -hmm. Any thoughts for leaders or just that added responsibility and that stewardship to teams? That's fantastic. Um, yeah, I think I think the danger of leadership, uh, leadership with leadership comes power. Um, and the danger of power is that it can actually corrupt us. It can it can go to our ego. Very subtly we can we can begin to think I did this, you know, I made this. Uh, <laughs> um, it can go to our heads very, very easily. And that's, I think, when things can get a bit skewed. Um, 
But yeah, what we see in the Bible when it talks about power, power is not something that rests with someone. It's something that's meant to go through someone. So we see this with Jesus all the time. He doesn't take the power that he has as the son of God and hold on to it. He allows that power to go through him to heal people, uh, to speak truth, um, to empower others. And he does the ultimate renunciation of power when he goes to the cross and dies on the cross. Um, but that enables resurrection power to come through him to each of us. So power is not meant to be something that we hold on to. It's not meant to be something by which we control others. Power is meant to be something that we use to empower others. So I think that's a really good protection for us so that we don't feed our egos through this leadership journey. But actually we see that I actually have been given this influence, this opportunity so that I can empower others. Um, so I have a leader um, and uh, she sees her role as creating the environment where the people that she's stewarding can flourish, where she's actually seeing for each person, how can I enable you to be more effective in the work you do? Um, so that's the way she sees it. It's not about, you know, setting these impossible targets and whipping your people so they can meet them. It's actually if her people are flourishing, then there's going to be terrific work. She'll need to put some boundaries around that um, and ensure that everyone's pulling in the right direction but actually using her power to empower her team and enable them to be effective in their working. That's a really beautiful way of, of harnessing this leadership power and potential um, and, and using it in a way where everyone benefits. And I think um, particularly as Christian leaders, um, really what that is, is, is if we put church language on it, is discipling people, <laughs> helping mm -hmm. to form people. Uh, so that they can be effective in what they do, caring about the whole person in the work that they do um, and taking that discipleship mindset into your role as a leader can actually both increase productivity, increase creativity and innovation, but actually you're going to probably um, unleash people spiritually as well. Oh, I love that. And then hopefully they reproduce and do the same thing. And like you said, that discipleship pattern just continues if done, you know, well and in a healthy way. Absolutely. Well, Cara, this was so fun. I loved uh, chatting with you and discussing this and your article and your books. If people wanted to connect with you further, how would, how would they find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got a website, workship.com.au. I'm on Instagram as karamartin.au uh, and I'm also on Facebook. Um, basically, I made up the word workship. Workship is that connection between I work and I didn't catch it the first time. I just read past it and thought worship, but then I'm like, but we're talking about work. And then I, I know, and then I caught it. And I'm like, this is genius. I love it. So um, it really, I like just, my eyes saw something different. But then when I saw it, I was like, what could not be a better, could not be a better title. I love it. So so uh, we go to workship every day, hey. Um, but when you make up a word, it's easy to Google it and find me. So no worries. <laughs> oh, well, great. Well, we will find you there. And I would love to keep the conversation going and discuss 
continue to, to discuss workship as we walk through life. And uh, I just really appreciate your time and your dedication to bringing it to the forefront, to making uh, Christians talk about this and wrestle with it, because I love the thought of how we bring Christ with us, that we are, he's partnering with us. And so just thank you so much for your work and your time. We appreciate thank it. Thank you, Lindsay.